I've been a photographer for the last 20 years. Before that, I was an illustrator and a pop video director. Of all the arts I've tried, I prefer photography because I seem to be better at it. <laughs> My name is Michael Benson. I'm the director of Photo London. Uh, this is the third edition, and tonight we are beginning our Photo London Week with a talk by Philip Roger from the National Portrait Gallery and uh, the great Miles Aldridge. The sheer genius and intelligence of the way he approaches his subjects. It's very easy to make work look dreary, but Miles always makes it look interesting with a kind of twist. Well, thank you all for coming, and thank you for making that um, climb to the, what is this, the fifth floor, sixth floor? <laughs> um, but uh, welcome. Uh, I think we are in for a treat tonight. So, um, Miles, you've decided to focus tonight on one particular project. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about it, how it came about, yeah. and uh, sort of where it fits in your thinking these days. So this is a project called After Catalan, and um, anyone familiar with Maurizio Catalan might recognise this sculpture. It's a self-portrait of him climbing through the floor of a museum. I got in touch with Maurizio a couple of years ago when I first saw his magazine, uh, Toilet Paper. It's a quite sort of anarchic, it's not really a fashion magazine, but it kind of pertains towards fashion and advertising and its slickness. But the imagery itself is certainly surreal um, and provocative. Coincidentally, a friend of mine was working on it and I sent a message to him through this friend of mine and said, God, I really love what you're doing. And he said, well, funny enough, we really love what you're doing too. Um, and I was doing it in the pages of Vogue Italia. You know, I've been working for magazines for 20 years, maybe a bit longer, and my whole job my direction and my sort of intention through that period was always to kind of put an image in the magazine that would stop people turning the page and, and be a provocative jolt uh, that would make them think about themselves and, and their world and why they bought this magazine and why they buy clothes and why they buy makeup and all the things that uh, are in this magazine. Around about 2003, I did an image for Vogue Italia, which was a fried egg with a stubbed out cigarette in it. Uh, and on the edge of the cigarette was some woman's lipstick. And the point of that picture was that I was really interested to put a picture in the fashion magazine that was simultaneously quite kind of gross and quite beautiful. This smelly old egg with this smelly old cigarette across a double page uh, in Italian Vogue coming directly after a very beautiful fashion story and preceding another beautiful fashion story was I mean, really exciting, kind of really got my, my blood boiling as far as that's what I really want to do in this job. I don't want to just photograph happy women uh, celebrating their success with all their, you know, finery and with their trappings of richness and uh, ease and pleasure. You know, anyone who knows people like that knows that it's not like that, that that's just a, a facade. And actually, beyond that, there's troubling things and shocking things and disgusting things in everyone's lives. Uh, I saw there was more to say in fashion magazines than just that I'm really successful and rich and happy with my wardrobe, right? Maurizio, uh, surprisingly, out of the blue, he messaged me and said, I have a show in Paris, would you like to come? and take some pictures there because I think it could be a really good setting for your work. 
And so I went to the show. I imagine most of you know Maurizio's work. And so it was a collection of the most famous pieces. It was the greatest hits, the Pope, the horse hanging out the wall, him coming out the floor, uh, the drummer boy. I was actually infected very much, not only by his work, but by the space, which was a neoclassical French Napoleonic kind of um, space. And I started to imagine these rather neoclassical nudes inter intervening with Maurizio's new work. So I was sort of coming from the position of these being a kind of historical ghost interrupting or uh, questioning what Maurizio was doing. In light of what you're saying, you have to begin in a project like this. It's very different. So you're not the only artist involved. You've got Maurizio there as well. And on some level, what you're doing is an act of interpretation, isn't it? Yeah. And responding. So this, this is one of Catalan's most famous sculptures. And it's usually seen in the light of playfulness. You know, it's a sort of really joyful, um, mischievous, humorous sort of yeah. a piece. And you've created a very serious context for this. You've added levels. You've added a kind of eroticism. You've added the, the feminine presence. You've added her, her expression, her gesture, the dark shadow on the wall. So can you talk a little bit about how you're responding to another artist's work? He began the project by sort of saying that, you know, this is your work. I want your interpretation of my work. So this is, it's not a collaboration per se. It's an intervention or it's a... It's a reaction to the work. We, uh, we agreed to meet at his museum. I hadn't met him in face to face. We agreed to meet at the museum at 7 p.m. as it closed, and we were given permission to work in the museum through the whole night. It was just great to be in this uh, museum at night. I don't know, you felt like a child, you know, kind of being naughty, left to your own devices. We worked until 7 a.m., and then we left the museum, and then the punters arrived for the next day. So during that kind of night in the museum with Maurizio, I created these um, six images. What did Maurizio think when he saw the pictures? <laughs> well, he was there when we were taking the pictures and um, he was egging me on. He, I mean, this particular picture, he suggested that she pee on his head. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the museum director was standing next to us. He was really getting quite nervous <laughs> at that point. Uh, and I wasn't quite sure how that would work as well. <laughs> but uh, I go to a shoot with sort of like 70% of it figured out in my head. Uh, I do drawings, uh, rather like a film director, sketching out storyboards. Uh, but I certainly leave a good 30% of the idea open and to see how the, the model herself will react, and also how I will react. And it's one thing to sort of sketch up something, but when you put your eye to the camera and look through the viewfinder and see this thing happening, all of your own kind of uh, messages to the world kind of come through and you start to kind of adjust the picture accordingly. I don't like things to be as obvious as a woman peeing on a man's head. Uh, to me, that's sort of like you read that and you, you digest it and you understand it too quickly and you move on. I, I, I much prefer that it is unknown what is happening and it's mysterious why the hair and why the pubic wig and so forth and so forth. So shall we move on to some of the behind the scenes? And yeah, sure, sure. Give us a little context for how this developed. Yeah, so as well as making the main images, I also took my Leica and took some behind the scenes photographs of what was happening. To me, I, I was keen that I produced these at the same time because I felt it was almost like a happening in that kind of, you know, that kind of, that 60s term for 
kind of rather groovy events. <laughs> uh, and I thought it was a very groovy event to have all these amazing people in this museum at night. And I, I thought it was silly not to record it as it was happening, as well as making these pictures. That's Maurizio looking through my camera, telling me how to do it. <laughs> he's on tiptoes, a bit shorter than me. <laughs> yeah, he's really cinematic, Maurizio. I mean, his, his ideas are almost like Spielberg in a way, you know, kind of a, a, a really precise cinematic moment. Would you describe yourself as cinematic? Uh, yeah, I would, because uh, I've always wanted to be cinematic in as much as I always wanted to be a director. You know, I always thought I would do photography until I found a way to become a film director. But as I got into it and as I started to bend it to my will and make it the way I wanted it to be, I found that I was more interested in the pictures I was making than the films I might have made. But it's a great example, actually, of the, what, what I'm describing with these photographs. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's an element, okay, it might have been spontaneous, but there's an element of performance here and yeah. in a way it sits so nicely alongside it does, the yeah. finished colour photographs. These pictures really are the atypical Cartier-Bresson decisive moment pictures. I mean, you know, in a way, <laughs> I wish they were. But what I mean by that is that they are really using the camera to do what the camera was meant to do when Leica made the first camera in the 1920s, which is that it record moments of life. Now, me and a lot of other photographers since decided that the camera is not really meant for that and that the pictures we were making are not about a moment but about an idea. Okay, <laughs> you, you sort of preempted a question that was coming to my mind which was, um, so why in terms of the, the finished colour photographs, yeah. why not paint them? Yeah. What does photography bring to the equation? The photographic medium itself is fantastic. It's so juicy. You know, we, we have all grown up with it. We, are, we believe in it, we are troubled by it because when we see an image, that's why I like Toilet Papers, the, the magazine by Maurizio. So when we see an image, because it's photographic, we believe in it. And we, we, even though we know about advertising and Photoshop and art direction, these things that twist things, we are still tricked and believe in the photographic image as truth. And that is the great power of photography. You know, when I look at a Gerhard Richter painting of a photograph or an Andy Warhol painting of a photograph, I sort of think, well, the only reason this is worth $93 million is because it's a painting and not a photograph. Beyond that, the image itself, the electric chair, the car crash, as images, they are as powerful as photographs. The problem with the way people see photography is that everyone thinks that it's, it's kind of easy because the camera does 99% of the work and so there's this kind of bizarre misunderstanding that if you take enough pictures you'll end up with a great picture. You know, it's not like that at all. I do think there will be a time in the future where the proposal that to paint a photograph to make it art is sort of ridiculous. Once photography catches up with painting, it will be about image, not about medium. So let me ask you about that because we were talking before people arrived a little bit about colour. And I'm really interested, based on what you said earlier, yeah. about photography and being representational and believable and, and the way that it impacts people in a very special way. Mm. And then you take these colours, which are sort of unreal colours, mm. even though they are from life. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not our daily experience. So how do you see that tension between these exaggerated colours mm -hmm. and this realism of mm -hmm. the camera? 
I always have a sort of a kind of motto in my mind when I'm working, which is something along the lines of, um, it's like real life, but as if it was a Hollywood musical. I had that idea before La La Land, actually. But that's, that has always been my kind of modus operandi, that it's kind of like, it's this red wine, but it's really red, you know, or anything that can be kind of exaggerated. The colour is just another way of making the image incredibly um, exciting, I hope, but also sort of like a, almost like a visceral experience. Okay, let's move to the next one. Yeah, and then I'm going to ask one? you about the F word. Oh, <laughs> F-stop. No, fashion. <laughs> oh, right. Fashion. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a loaded term. It's a term that's in some ways under siege, and mm. to the extent that we can defend it, it's in flux, it's changing. Do you see yourself as a fashion photographer, and what does that mean? I certainly did. When I started photography, fashion was really exciting and sexy. I started during what's known as the grunge period, which is when the glamour period ended and the grunge period began. There was this new breed of photographer, very much kind of uh, extolled by Jürgen and David Sims and Craig and Glenn. These young Turks were changing the world and fashion magazines were really exciting because of them. I think Vogue Italia undeniably was the magazine to be in and uh, I was lucky enough to be in it for about 20 years. What those grunge photographers were doing, what I you know, kind of latched onto and what I started doing when I, when I worked at that period, um, also related to a kind of a, a love I had of like 1960s photography and people like Bailey. Weirdly, not just Bailey, but actually the imaginary David Bailey is played by David Hemmings in Blow Up. And so the cinematic truth of my life kind of comes back to me again and it's not just about you know real history it's about cinema's idea of history michelangelo antonioni's film made david bailey into a much more interesting character than he really is and i think that's the the power of cinema to transform and bend truth which i'm all for truth on its own you know what's outside this window is fairly boring. What's outside this window, if this is now a Hollywood movie, we can make it really interesting. A great quote of Hitchcock, who's one of my heroes, was that it's not a slice of life, it's a piece of cake. It seems like you're saying that fashion photography can be more truthful than other forms of photography. Oh yes, uh, uh, well I do. I mean, I think, I think many forms of photography can be more truthful than what people think is truthful photography. I've been working for Time magazine quite a lot recently and they have this really bizarre idea that if the photo is retouched, they can't call it a photograph. It has to be called uh, a construction or something like that. Photography has been retouched since the beginning of time. There's Roger Fenton photographs of the Crimean War where there weren't enough cannonballs in the picture to explain how awful the war was. So he added some. And so uh, this idea that photography is really truthful and has to be, you know, you can't fuck with it, you can't mess with it, you can't like play around with it, otherwise it's not truthfully photography. The history of photography is way more about lying than about truth. Photography is bending, warping, changing, adapting the truth. Yeah, as far as like, where do, you, where do you end the crop? What kind of lens to use? I think the whole idea of photography as the truth is as truthful as a novel. So let me bring you back to that question of fashion, that word oh, fashion, yeah. that loaded term. Uh, what, what does that mean to you when someone says that such and such is a fashion photographer? Yeah, the fashion photography business is sort of really struggling right now, I would say. The whole sort of like structure of fashion photography, when I started, 
um, has changed. And it's not that, you know, I want to sound like a kind of grumpy old man that it was better back in my day, as it were. But the truth is undeniably there that the magazine is dying as a kind of medium in the fashion magazine. You know, as a consequence of the internet, people don't need magazines in the way that we used to. You know, if I think of myself, when beginning photography, waiting for the face to come out and looking at it, that, that person doesn't exist anymore because they have other forms of visual stimulation. It's very interesting for me that, well, very lucky for me, that I worked through a period when the magazine went from being king to being pauper. So I worked for a period when pre-internet, you know, the magazine dictated style, but then through that I could say, because I was taking the pictures, that I was part and parcel of that kind of powerful message to the world. Um, but as the magazines lost their confidence through the internet and through having less advertising and having less money, basically the magazines became bankrupt. They didn't have money to pay for these ideas anymore. So, you know, if you work for Vogue Italia, they would give you enough money to take a picture of a girl on a white background. If you wanted to add a chair, you'd have to pay for the rental of that chair. If you wanted to add, uh, build a kitchen, you have to pay for that, you know. And so, by paying for it, you actually, although it was very annoying and frustrating to fund these magazines, you actually, uh, what I found was I actually got all the power because it, it, it went from being their film to my movie, you know? So I was the one calling the shots. And as that went on and on and on, the magazines were just happy to get a picture. They didn't have any sense that they would say, oh, well, we don't like this picture, you know, we'll, we'll reshoot it. I mean, they were just happy to have anything, you know. Uh, so that's where this project kind of lands in my history, in as much as having been a fashion photographer, they're expecting you to turn in 12 pages, 10 pages, 18 pages, whatever they need to fill. And there's no sort of like overriding direction from them. And that was great for me because I could, I could do what I wanted to do. I could put the fried egg in the picture. So in light of what you've just been describing in terms of the the disintegration of the magazine industry, mm. the way fashion has been changing. I can't help but feel that you've been orphaned somehow. Mm, and the pictures, pictures like this, they live in a new world without prying too much. I mean, how do you earn a crust these days <laughs> in, as a fashion photographer? What are these, is it the sales of these in galleries that, that's the yeah, well, that for you? Yes, actually, truth, truthfully, yes. I mean, Franca Sozzani died in December the uh, sort of legendary editor-in-chief of Vogue Italia and really the woman, I would say, who had given me permission to make the pictures that I've made uh, through my career. Her death for me uh, wasn't just sort of a kind of bodily death. It was also really a metaphorical death for the magazine because I, I, I asked myself the question, well, you know, what now? If she's gone, what do I do? Because do I now want to try and work for one of the many other Vogues that there are. And I, the answer to myself was really a resounding no. Um, they're all much less interesting. She was brilliant, even though I've kind of, you know, dissed the whole magazine process. She was, when she was present, she was incredibly astute. I was in a playground with my son in Kentish Town. Uh, he was about five years old, I guess. And it was, it was a miserable Kentish Town playground. Uh, and it was spitting. And so we were the only people there. And I looked at this playground with all these colors. I thought, God, this place is fantastic for some sort of picture. What could it be? And so my first thought was, well, it could just be me. Or it could be a man and his son playing in the rain, you know. 
No, I don't like photographing men. Okay, so then it could be the mother and the child playing in the rain. Okay, maybe, but... Mm. And then it suddenly struck me, it could just be the woman alone in the playground. And then it struck me even harder. It could be the woman alone in the playground pushing an empty swing. And the spookiness of that ran through my veins. And I did a drawing when I got home. And I got on a train and went to Paris and met Franca after the Chanel show. And I showed this drawing of this woman pushing a, pushing a swing with no baby on it. The same, she had the same chill. And she said, yes, we do this in her Italian English way. And it's like, it wasn't a conversation, well, it wasn't like, oh, Miles, what do you mean by this? Do you mean that women can't have children anymore? You know, we, it, it, and I, even I don't know what the image means, but I do know that it, it was, it struck me as, a, as an image that needed to be made in this time that we live in now. So it just felt urgent that I did it. And yeah, so it's huge to have that sort of intuitive connection with your yeah. editor that you can just sort of, you, you both speak yeah. the same language. You both speak the same language and she green-lighted it and we did it and it was, it was great, you know, and it was, it was, again, like the fried egg, it was great, but something so kind of disturbing in the magazine, you know. Th that was her brilliance and, you know, I, I know that I won't get that again. And so I do feel that my magazine work is my juvenilia, if that makes sense, at 52. A juvenilia before me, <laughs> um, and that moving forward, I I think my work will be a pun on my fashion work, on my photography work, and that I will produce images that relate to the fashion industry but are not for the fashion industry. And this project with with Maurizio is a wonderful um, segue to that new way of thinking. That sounds like a fabulous place to pause. Um, I promised you all that you'd have a chance to ask questions. We've got a few minutes left. So one hand went shooting up in the middle of the room. Thanks. Um, so I have a question to do with how you handled the relationship of working with Maurizio Catalan. And when, for example, he's saying use a noose or she could pee or do this, how did you manage to... Not use stay it. In yeah, stay in control, <laughs> but without offending. Yeah. How did you manage that? Yeah. Um, so when I started photography, I really did not have an idea about what I was doing. I fell into it and really made it up as I went along. I had no idea of the rules. And I was doing a shoot for Paris Vogue in Rome, and the model was a boxer. Stefan Ferrara, I think his name is. I was working on a shot and the editor was telling me how to do it and I was saying, yes, thank you, but actually I like this way. And Stefan, at the end of the shoot, said to me, you know, it's really interesting watching you. You listen to everyone and then you do what you want to do. I, I tend to have one idea and, and so I listen to many other opinions and then kind of get to do my thing, luckily, and I've managed to do that for 20 years, deflecting. <laughs> Hi, Miles. Hey. Um, I'm interested about the sketches you make pre-shot. You always plan this way? I mean, you don't have to put together mood boards or...? Oh, well, I, I, do, I do have mood boards too, yeah. but um, I spend an incredible amount of time drawing. I get very, if I'm truthful, I get very stressed out about my work. And having a shoot coming, I try in my head to kind of put all the pieces together. It's like, how will it be? My brain can't fathom it. And it, it's the not knowing that really stresses me out. And so I try and draw it out in a way to calm myself down. So, you know, it's okay, it's gonna be like this, okay? But until I'm actually at the shoot doing the picture, it troubles me, you know, as Mick Jagger would say, you can't get no satisfaction. 
you know, because you can't see the picture. So until you have the Polaroid in your hand, you go, ah, it works. Do you think there's a f any fundamental difference between taking the picture and finding the picture from... I, I mean, I do. I've, I suppose I have a very romantic idea of the artist as the artist as someone who makes things. I am not happy with the idea that even two people make the picture of a sort of collaborative thing. But I, I'm, I'm sort of too 19th century for that approach in a way. I really feel that the artist has to make the picture, you know, sort of call, call me old fashioned. Being sort of old fashioned, is that why you are still sticking with film as, a, as the medium and not moving to something like digital? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do feel very old fashioned sticking with film when so many of my contemporaries have moved to digital. I find, weirdly, that it's just easier for me. I mean, at the beginning, I was really a bluffer. So when I decided to stop bluffing and take it seriously, I really spent a long time figuring out how the stuff works. So that coincided with digital arriving. And when digital arrived, I thought, no, fuck this. I've just figured out how to do this really well. <laughs> so I'm going to stick with it. Uh, digital, you know, you do, you do it in a different way with digital. With digital, you are taking a picture and looking at a picture and taking a picture and looking at a picture. With film, you're just taking pictures and it's a very different mindset and you go into a very different space in your imagination. Again, stress and anxiety become the hugely important part of this image making. That You think you're not going to get it, you're not going to get it, you're not going to get it. And so you do it again and again and again. And actually, by repeating a gesture, you almost take the emotion out of it. And that is very interesting in a kind of period of postmodern imagery. There's somebody laughing by me is somebody being told to laugh again and again and again and again and again and again until they hit that point that I think it looks like a laugh. And that's not the same as a la really laughing, if that makes sense. So there's a sort of natural postmodern uh, solution to imagery when you work on film because you don't know what you've got until you get it back from the lab. So, and by not knowing, you just shoot a lot. And that, in a way, de-romanticizes the picture. But yeah, I mean, all the great pictures I like were taken on film, so I prefer that way. All right, with that, it's uh, to me to thank you all very much for coming this evening. Uh, thanks to Photo London for making this possible, and thanks also to Soho House and the staff who, who helped arrange this. And above all, thank you, Miles, for a fascinating uh, conversation, but um, also for being so generous with your thoughts and so thank you. almost thank you. confessional in your description yeah. <laughs> of what you do. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. This programme was brought to you by Soho House and Radio Wolfgang. It was hosted by Philip Podger and featured fashion photographer Miles Aldridge. <laughs>